0: I have to take a moment before we get too far into today's message just to confess to you all that I think too often in my life I have been guilty of projecting one thing here and having something else going on in here. Times where I look calm on the outside, and on the inside, I'm struggling with anxiety. I can think of the last several years where I felt like that, where I, I, I felt like as a leader I needed to have a non-anxious presence, but inside I felt pretty anxious. Sometimes I confess that my outward life and my inner life don't always be, they're not always in sync, you know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe you can relate to that. Am I the only one in the room here? <laughs> Do we need to form a support group? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. We, we toss that phrase around, right? Uh, what is it? Fake it till you make it, that whole deal. And I, I mean, maybe sometimes that's helpful, but what a, what a sad way to live where nobody really knows what you're thinking where nobody really knows if you're just play-acting, right? So I think that would be a dangerous way to live. Certainly a not a healthy way, it would seem, if nobody ever really knows what's going on in here. And then you start talking about our spiritual life. And that's really convicting, isn't it? I mean, we come into a gathering like this, and we look around, and sometimes people are closing their eyes, or sometimes raising their hands. Even I raise my hands, right, sometimes. And... How how in sync are we? I, am I really worshiping the Lord or is just am I, am, I, am I being a hypocrite? You're so glad you came to church today. <laughs> you are welcome. Right, our in, internal and our external. How in sync are, are we? Do you find yourself faking it to make it sometimes? And I would think Jesus has something to say about that. As we get into Matthew chapter 15, Jesus is going to take a different, a different way of approaching some Jewish leaders that we don't often see in scripture, and he's going to double down. So if you have a Bible or a device, find, find Matthew chapter 15. I think deep down we know this is a problem where uh, we've got this inner person and our outer person, and sometimes they look like two different people. It's almost like a multiple personality sort of thing going on. And and we're, we're not authentic, and we'll say one thing, but we don't really feel it. You'll smile at somebody, but inside you're, you're, you're frowning. And, and is, is, is that important when it comes to our faith? If we say we love Jesus, but then our, our outer action don't show anything, can we say we really love Jesus, right? This, these are questions we've, we've got to wrestle with because we, we struggle, I think, in this in-sync issue. If we're only going through the motions, our heart isn't in it. And I think that's what we need to lean into a little bit today as we get into the scriptures in Matthew 15. I'm Pastor Ben. I'm glad you're here with us. Uh, Sometimes scripture has some heavy things for us. And so today we're going to look at that. We're going to hear some words from Jesus. Let's not, you know, pull any punches. Let's hear from him and and let our hearts and our souls wrestle with this. Even even when the the conversation is difficult. I'm glad you're here, uh, whether that be in person or online, we see you. We gather like this on Sundays, like Christ followers all over the globe. We are one big, you ready, dysfunctional family of faith. but We meet to lift up the name of Jesus because it was 2,000 years ago or so that that tomb was empty and it changed human history forever. And we gather in his name this morning. We're going to talk about a message that I'm just titling like traditions and, 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 and rituals and what true godliness looks like. So let's pray for a moment, will you? Pray with me. Father, we come before you, and uh, we're all having different weeks and different days this week, and Lord, we're thankful for the sunshine. We're thankful that it feels like spring. uh, And Father, we gather like this to lift up the name of your son, Jesus. Father, may your Holy Spirit move in our hearts. May we have ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that are ready for you to do some bold work this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew 15. Rituals, traditions, and true godliness. Let's get into the word here. Verse 1 of 15. Well, then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Holy moly. Did the temperature just rise a little bit in this conversation? Sometimes Jesus is very accommodating. He doesn't want to offend. I feel like this is not the situation for that. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Verse 4, for God commanded, honor your father and mother, bonus, if you can remember which commandment that was of the ten. Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what, what you would have gained from me is given to God, I heed not then honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you had made void the word of God. You hypocrites. Oh, man. Whoa. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, of you. When he said, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called all the people, Everybody gather around. Lesson time. He said to them, hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. That statement was huge. For a Jewish people who had lots of identity markers, one of them was the foods they ate and the foods they didn't eat. Do you hear the weight of what Jesus just said? In fact, Mark's gospel, if we're just going to put a pause here, Mark's gospel in chapter 7 says, in saying this, he declared all foods clean. Think bacon, shrimp, and tasty rabbits. Now we laugh, but those were considered, right, taboo, unclean. The weight of this, we kind of read right over because we eat some of that stuff. It's pretty tasty. But for the Jewish people, that was an identity marker. They didn't eat that, right? Think of the implications. All right, are you getting that now? Are you getting the weight of that statement? It's not what goes into your mouth, uh, but what comes out that defiles a person. Verse 12, then the disciples (laughs) came and said to him, this is the understatement of the gospel of Matthew. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? Right? They were offended a little. And he answered, every plant, he doubles down, watch this. Every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. He is not backing down. He's doubling down. So uh, cue Peter here, verse uh, 15. But, But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. Because I'm guessing the 12 are like, did he just say what we think he said? Explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Jesus has some big words here and he's not backing down. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth, this is going to get a little weird, but goes into the mouth, uh, goes into the stomach, and we know the rest of the story, it is expelled. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. Way more than what's expelled from the body, you get that? What's worse is what comes out in your behavior, Right? This is what defiles a person. This comes out of the heart. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. We read this in our modern time and sensibility, and we kind of overlook the weight of what just happened. Clearly, Jesus was on the radar with the religious elite because where did these guys come from originally? you catch that? They came from Jerusalem. Remember, we left Jesus, I think he was in the area of Gennesaret. Remember that whole boat trip where he walked on water? Remember that in Matthew 14? And uh, the winds blowing them, so they, they were aiming for Bethsaida, but they ended up in Gennesaret, and he was doing healings. That's where he was. The elite from Jerusalem came to find him. So we're talking people of rank. And they come and they find Jesus. And they're noticing that his disciples are not washing their hands. So we start with something simple, the, the, the washing or not washing, in this case, of hands. And Jesus turns it into a very big statement against tradition of humans Above the Word of God, missing the point entirely. He's going to use this as a really big teaching opportunity for everyone who's willing to hear with ears that are open, right? So let's let's talk about this hand-washing thing for a second because it, it's a, it's a little bit challenging, I think, for us to understand the weight of this, but by the first century uh, first century judaism which by the way judaism changed over the centuries it's the judaism of uh, moses and and the wilders that judaism vastly different than what would have happened in the exile right where they didn't have a temple so there was all that and in the period of the judges judaism had shifted over time like traditions often do, but by the time Jesus comes around, there are two bodies of work in Jewish teachings, one that will be eventually called the Talmud, the other one that's called the Mishnah. And Those contained uh, stories, traditions, commentary, those would become weighty in ancient uh, Jewish uh, you know, past first century. they become important. And in some of those extra writings, you have the tradition of handwashing. Originally, this would have just been the priesthood. Back in the day, originally God's word talked about the priests because they were the ones preparing God's people to come close to God and have this worship experience. So normally it was just the priests that had to do these extra washings and they were usually only on particular days. Well, by the time we get to Jesus' day, they have added... All kinds of things on top of the original commands of God. So now you had this whole, you got to wash your hands before you eat. This isn't mommy telling you to wash your hands like a hygiene thing. This is part of their clean-unclean, and that's that's a whole big subject that I'll just touch on today. But they they use this as a ritual cleaning, not for hygiene. And so you guys want to see what the tradition says you're supposed to do with hand washing? You want to see it? It's kind of a visual thing, but you can, you can, this is audience participation. And you're gonna think this is silly, but they took this very seriously. So, you start, ready, and you get your hands ready. To do the w- ritual hand washing, you have to have your hands out, up to heaven, with your fingers right here. And so then they would take the water, and they would take a basin of water, and they would start with the fingertips and roll back to just where the wrists are and stop. Okay, so now you've got the water dripping just up to the wrist. And then, once that's happened, then you would flip your hands over. And then continue to let the water completely drip off your hands. Right? You all look like you're playing piano right now. <laughs> okay. Let's play a little ditty. And then uh, once that happened, then you would rub your hands. And that was the, now you can, you can eat. That's your ritual. Tradition. Now, if you messed up, if you started with your hands down, oh, you gotta, you got to do that again. They were very meticulous about this. And let's give them some credit, though. Okay, Everybody rips on the religious leaders sometimes, and even I was kind of... I mean, Jesus does have things to point out, and there's things that we don't want to emulate. But they were trying so hard by the time of Jesus' day. Look, the Jewish people had had a, a pretty rough... Several centuries, multiple centuries, ever since civil war and exile and Syria and Babylon and then the Medes and the Persians, and then they were returned to exile, but not everybody came back and it was just two tribes out of 12. We lost some of the 10. They had had some rough moments and they knew, the religious leaders knew that the reason this is all happening to us is because we didn't obey. So what they were trying to do was make sure they, kept the law so they wanted to have extra laws around the laws so they wouldn't even get close to violating the laws. Does that make sense? It's almost like they were adding some safety nets around the law, but by the time the first century came around, there was so much of that that it was hard for the average person to even know what to do. And just like it used to be just for the priests, now everybody needs to wash their hands. And they had elevated their traditions and their rituals almost above and superimposing over God's law, sometimes even missing the point of God's original intent, right? Do you, you see the tension there, the problem there? And Jesus is pushing back hard on this issue. And I mentioned the clean and unclean thing. That was a big deal. You talk about an identity marker for the people uh, uh, of Israel. Clean and unclean was, was a big deal because again, if you, if you were wanting to worship God and uh, you were heading that way and all of a sudden you accidentally touched something that was dead on the road, ceremonially, ceremonially you were unclean and, and you had to go through a process then because you touched a dead thing that you had to go through that process before you could then worship because getting close to God was important, right? That was, that was a big deal. And so that would make you unclean. That's not a sin, not a sin. Unclean was not a sin because there was a process to deal with that, but you needed to go through the process so that you showed God, hey, I am yours, God. I want to, this is, this matters to me. And before I get into the temple wor- to worship, I want to make sure that I've, I've honored you. And so clean and unclean, these were just ways for them to, to find themselves in a good space with the Lord. And so it wasn't a sin to be unclean, there was a process to it. There was one commentary that, that I read that said this, in that for the Jewish people, those who came in contact with something considered taboo uh, were thought to be unfit to worship or to have physical contact with others. So for the Jewish person, unclean things included certain animals and dead bodies, uh, lepers, people with skin diseases, Gentiles, interesting, uh, and, and, uh, and, and other things like, like certain foods. Okay, that, those are the things that would, would, if you ran into them or touched them, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you needed to go through a process to then become clean so that you could approach God. That's how they looked at it. And you might be thinking of the list that I just mentioned. Didn't Jesus do that all the time? Right? He's, he's, he's touching lepers. He's not supposed to do that. He's having conversations with Gentiles and even going to their homes. Uh, those bad Romans, they were mainly Gentiles and he would... He would connect with them, converse with them. Jesus was doing these things all the time. Wouldn't Jesus just be, the whole thing about him be unclean? Here's what's amazing about Jesus. Usually when you or I or the average Jewish person would touch something unclean, that uncleanliness was on you now, right? But what's something amazing, we see this transfer change, where when Jesus touched the leper or the Gentile, their uncleanliness did not transfer to him, but his cleanliness transferred to them. You see the difference there? His cleanliness transferred to them in a radical reshaping of what that meant. Now if you want to know more. This week, if you just, I, I love kind of looking at these things. So Leviticus chapter 11, that's in the holiness code. That's in the how to approach God uh, sort of spot in the, in the ancient Hebrew scriptures. It's right in the middle of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Levitical law will show you some of that clean, unclean discussion, right? And they had to be really, uh, really keep their eyes open. And so Jesus is pushing back against what really makes someone clean or what really defiles somebody. It's more than just some external thing that you do. It needs to be connected to your heart. You see the deeper issue Jesus is trying to get at? They start with hand washing. And you notice he doesn't answer their question. He only answers that question with his disciples as we ended that passage. Remember when he says, He says, Things that go in, that, that doesn't defile a person. What comes out, murder, adultery, all of those things, that defiles a person. Wash or eating with unclean hands, that does not defile a person. So he answers it, but he only does it to his disciples a little bit later. The tradition of men versus the command of God, that's where the tension was for Jesus. And so that's why he's pushing back so hard. He's not letting this one go. Sometimes Jesus is very co- accommodating. There's sometimes Jesus is very uh, careful not to offend. But in this moment, it was important enough for him to push back and even cause offense. In fact, the Pharisees were very offended, as we find out from the disciples. See, I I don't think traditions are bad, per se. Uh, Jesus is pushing back on those traditions that stay external but never hit internal that look religious and look important, but they have nothing to do with what's actually going on in the heart. And that's what he's trying to help us understand. And he's making a distinction between what God said and what eventually became the traditions of the Jewish leadership. And there will be lots of conflict beyond just this with that very issue. The commands of men versus what God actually asked. And the example that he uses is taking care of parents. Did you catch that? It's taking care of parents. There is this moment where Jesus, again, he's, he's trying to use an example, and he's saying, well, why do you, Pharisees and leaders, why do you violate God's law and his commands when you allow children to dedicate something to God and that becomes their excuse not to take care of their parents. So that's the example that he uses. That they are violating the fifth commandment in case you didn't know it was the fifth commandment honor your father and mother some of you got it. They're breaking that commandment because they want to honor God. And Jesus is saying -uh." and you do many things like this where you nullify the word of God by your new tradition. And Corbin was a real thing in Hebrew culture. That's what it's called when you want to dedicate something to God. The point was, God gets all of our priority, but that shouldn't supersede the clear command to take care of your mom and dad. That that worship and honoring, some taking a resource, giving it to God, should never be an excuse not to take care of your family. That was never God's intent. And yet the Pharisees had created a whole system where you definitely could do that—it was like a legal loophole, where instead of taking care of your parents, like what if you had an argument with your parents? I'm sure that never happens with you, in your life, but what if you had an argument with your parents? Well, this field uh, was 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 able to help y'all, but you know I want to dedicate it to God because my heart is very. I really love Jesus, so I'm going to dedicate this field, you know. And, and this would have helped you, but I can't help you now because I've given it to God, you see. I'm very spiritual, and I can't help you now. This, you see what's going on here, and the Pharisees will allow it. This is what Jesus is pushing back on. Violating a clear commandment of God and the intent of the law and adding their own tradition so it's a legal loophole. I don't have to help them, and I'm being spiritual when I'm doing it. Jesus pushed back hard on this. Let's talk about Corbin for a minute. You know, before pension plans and Social Security, uh, Jewish children were supposed to take care of mom and dad. You know, when they got older, uh, frail, they maybe had some sickness, and the kids were supposed to take care of the family. And uh, those traditions became known as Corbin. This idea uh, that you would um, then take money and dedicate it to God, but you were still taking care of your family. That was never supposed to supersede, but by the first century that Corbin took on a life of its own and now that could be a legal loophole to not take care of mom and dad when they need it. And the Pharisees, once you dedicated that, the religious leadership, once you made that dedication, even if you wanted to, you had a guilty conscience and you're like, well that wasn't really nice, so I probably want to get that field back so I can take care of my family, once you made that promise it was irrevocable. So this is kind of a big deal, violating the clear command of God for what you might devote to God, using property. And in fact, it had gotten so bad to where like, if you wanted to you know, dedicate something to God, but you still wanted a little profit off of it, you could do that because the field's going to produce crops, but I can't give the field to my parents because I dedicated it to God but I'm still going to profit off of it. You see how goofy that got? And Jesus says, that's, that's not okay. That's, uh, th- you're violating the clear command of God by your traditions. And God was not okay with that. And they were, they were justifying breaking the fifth commandment all over the place and not even blinking. Violating the cl- clear command of God for tradition. And Jesus is using this as a, as a teaching point for his disciples. Showing them, hey, here's how, here's how we interpret God's law. When God, God says something, we take that seriously. I think for, for, for Jesus, when we read his teachings, he was challenging the religious leaders of his day and, and really frustrating them sometimes because of their legalistic adherence to the scriptures, and their additions. But I think he would speak to us today about our flippancy with whether we really have to obey it or not. you know what I mean? Two different sides of that, but Jesus is here to challenge both. That we wouldn't just be going through the motions, and we would also be looking at scripture and saying, well, if he says I should obey it, that's for me. Challenging us on both sides of that equation. So how would you feel like you're, you would rate your, your external and your internal? How would you rate that? How in sync are you with, with what you say and what you do? What you believe, your values, and how you operate in the world? Are you in sync? And if you are, praise the Lord. You know, stay with him on that. But if you're not, maybe you struggle with that. Maybe this is the moment you, you find some time on your knees and say, God, help me get in sync. Because what's going on here is very different than what people see on the outside. Could we ask the Lord to help us be authentic? Are you in danger of that sin of the religious leaders where they developed all kinds of external legalistic rituals and traditions and behaviors, but what was going on here had nothing to do with that? Let's talk about us right now in a worship gathering. So we pray together, we sing songs, we take communion. We're going to take that in a little bit. Are are we really in this room when we're doing that? Are we fully engaged in what God wants to do? Or are we singing songs like I surrender all, but we're not really surrendered? Are we guilty of the same things that Jesus is pushing back on, to these religious leaders all, all those years ago? Are, are you and I in danger of violating those very things? How in sync are you? When you're raising your hands, is your heart there too? Or is it just an external thing? Let's, let's boil it down to something we're about to do, communion. You know that Paul writes to the church in Corinth in the first century, says, hey, treat this communion time important. Uh, In fact, examine your heart when you take the the, the bread that represents the broken body and the blood that represents his blood that was shed for us. When you get to this moment in your gatherings, Paul will write, examine your heart. Are you there? Are you really thinking about that sacrifice? Or are you thinking about what you're going to have for lunch later? Now, we're never going to get this perfect. I get that. But do you see the tension that we would go through something It looks like we're religious, but inside we're not there. I think sometimes some of us may come to the communion time in our church gatherings and you just need to sit there and pray because your heart is not there. Examine yourself. It may be some days you don't take communion on Sunday. Now you can take communion anywhere, anytime, right? But when we do it together, if your heart's not there, maybe you need to delay. You hear what I'm saying? Does that sound crazy? Or, 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 maybe not sing that song that talks about surrender. If you're not willing to surrender, you, you see what I'm getting at. Why are we saying and doing these things, but our heart isn't there? And if our heart isn't there, we can spend some time and ask the Lord to come in and do some, do some cleaning in, in what's going on so that we could be in sync. When we take communion, we really, we really are thinking. In fact, Paul even takes it a step further. He said, hey, if you're eating and drinking in a matter that's unworthy, you're drinking and eating judgment upon yourself. I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that either. What's our heart doing? Jesus would ask us to consider that. It's not just about the externals. Yes, God wants, to, God wants us to do the good work in the world. and those, That's an external thing in some ways. But he doesn't want us to do that if we're grumbling the entire time. He doesn't want us to fake it to make it. In fact, Paul will write later, love must be sincere. Is your internal and your external two different people? Jesus would ask you to consider a heart transplant, that you would be in sync. We're never going to get that perfect. And here's the only point I want to make today, that you and I would be real for real. Be real. Be honest. Be authentic. You know, when you have interactions with people, when you're at worship, when you're singing the songs, when you're taking communion here in a few minutes, be real. Examine yourself. God, come in. You need Jesus' cleanliness on you. It's not what goes in, it's what comes out. And so let's ask Jesus for a complete cleansing work in our life that we can be real, for real. David Platt wrote this, and then I want to pray. I want to read this to you. What the world needs is supernatural regeneration. We must never be satisfied with superficial holiness. Instead, we want hearts that produce holy lives. And this is the work. Of God. Imagine a people like us, our church family, operating with that authenticity. That when we extend love, we mean it. When we are generous, we mean it. We're not grumbling the whole time. This is a heart work that Jesus Himself, He alone can, can do. Let's pray that He does that for us this week. Let's pray. Father, you're good and mighty. We're thankful for your Son who transferred His cleanliness to us that, Father, we would produce fruit, that what would come out of our mouths would be things that honor you and help and love others. Do this heart work in us, Father, that we would be a people, a family, a church, a called-out people that are your hands and feet in the world and that we operate in sync, our inward life and our outward life would be in sync in authenticity, that we would be real for real, and that the world would see and notice and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.